This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the start of the Thomas Harley era. Well, I guess it may have already started last season, technically, but we're going to, for all intents and purposes, start it this week. We're also going to take credit, by the way, for the Thomas Harley era starting because this this podcast has been begging for that for a while. But we're going to stargaze. I've got Mark. I've got Taylor. How are you guys doing? Wunderbar. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm happy our team is winning again. Winning and playoff bound. We yes. didn't have to wait for the last game of the season as fans this year. They just kind of, yes. they got it done with like a week and a half to spare. And breaking all kinds of records. It's kind of silly. I mean, it's it's fantastic. We and, and a lot of good stuff too, right? Rebounded from a, you know, in a lot of ways, a schedule loss against the Colorado Avalanche, made a statement, um, got a meaningful body back healthy in Scott Wedgwood. It was just nice. They they came in to a game against the Predators with their divisional aspirations still very much alive and a chance to uh, clinch a playoff berth. And the game stayed tight, right? It was it, for a couple minutes. It was, you know, you could you could imagine them having a lapse. Uh, cough suit or cough that would give up perhaps a breakaway that would give up perhaps the tying goal and who knows where they'd wind up but instead dallas skates away with an emphatic five to one win and now we can angst about playoff matchups so yay well it was kind of back and forth there early on because dallas went up one and then all of a sudden it was tied again so nashville made a nice little comeback by protesting a goal that was pretty obviously offside and Dallas didn't fade when that happened, which is pretty incredible. They they almost gave up yeah. a goal, but they didn't. They tried to give it. Well, Ryan Suter <laughs> tried to give up a goal. Um. That was but, okay. I was I was at the game, and for the first time, I think I was speechless. So when it happened, I just had no words because how does that happen? It was unbelievable. It was. Yeah, it was one of those moments where maybe I guess my my head thinking was that he perhaps thought he could step in front of the player, get to the puck and, you know, carried up the ice and instead sort of fell down. It just was a disaster. It was just a disaster. But we had Wedgwood back behind and uh, that was really good. Wedgwood, Wedgwood got Texas into the playoffs. He got Dallas into the playoffs. I was so gonna say, yeah, does, it's does great to have him back. Anything clinched? Can we? Uh, actually, the Stars are the last team in the organization to clinch, so that's how things are going. Hmm. <laughs> so, right, so Wedgwood's superpower, I guess, is on hold until next season. Well, I, I was kind of hoping he went for back-to-back shutouts. I mean, it was it was really heartbreaking that yeah. he could, they couldn't get the blank sheet for him. That would have been, that would have been nice. He was, he was very good though. He made, you know, huge saves when the game was close. He gave the team time for their kind of quality. Razor made the point a couple of times. And I think the intermission crew talked as well about how Nashville kind of make you work for everything. And, and it was notable that it's what you want to see in a goaltender, right? It wasn't that, that Wedgwood was overly busy, although the second period was pretty dire uh, as a stars fan, but, um, he he was the difference until he didn't need to be the difference anymore. And then Dallas kind of took took control. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Wedgwood, you know, usually when you come back from that kind of injury, you're you're a little shaky. And given the rehab assignment down in Texas in this this last game against Nashville, 
Wedgwood's playing better coming back from this injury than he was going before he got hurt. I mean, I, I am yeah. feeling so good about him as a backup right now. Taylor, you're going to say something? Oh, yeah, I was just going to agree. I was a little skeptical just because he had been out for so long. And I was actually just watching um, his interview and Pete DeBoer's interview after the game. And they talked about how him going down was important for, you know, him to not be shaky and rusty. And I was impressed. And I think it was about seven minutes in. I was like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do the thing that we can't say he's going to do? <laughs> and then, you know, that got ruined. But I was really happy, really happy that he played so well. And it certainly and that- will be enough to quiet the Jake Ottinger needs rest crowd because as mm-hmm. well as he played, you know, looking at the five games Dallas has remaining, right? Vegas is probably going to be a showdown that's on Saturday. And then mm-hmm. the blues always play him tough, even though the blues aren't very good. Right. So you'd have to think that, you know, Wedgwood maybe gets the Philadelphia flyers on Thursday and that gives Ottinger a full week or he gets the red wings and one of the blues games. So, you know, he's going to get, this is not a team. This, all of a sudden, this is not a team that's going to have to play Ottinger five times. And we talked earlier about the, the benefits of clinching a playoff berth early versus chasing one late, right? This is not a team that has to play Ottinger five out of five and then start what might be a a pretty difficult matchup where he needs to be a difference maker. So they can manage the workload. They can make sure he is, you know, ready to go. uh, And and that's a good thing. Team's really going to benefit. Now, um, outside of Wedgwood, and we'll start with you, Taylor, what did you notice? um, What stood out to you against uh, against the Predators? Mostly the there was not as many odd man rushes that we have seen, um, you know, which is kind, of, kind of has been our kryptonite. And we didn't give up a lot of those aside from, you know, the one we already talked about with Suter. Um, so I was really, really happy about that. And then we already kind of touched on the um, not letting the goal getting called back kind of shift the momentum. Once we scored again, I was like, OK, we're still we're still in this. Yeah, yeah I and, think that's it, that's a good one. They could have it, it was recipe to sag and and then it was the top line with the just a beautiful cycle play uh, you know Pavelski Robertson and hence all getting involved getting the puck deep and then it was one of those that's you know a line is doing things at a really elite level when the goal looks almost boring and and I don't mean boring in the sense like it was it, supreme skills it's not taking away from the goal but just visually it was all three guys kind of touched the puck while skating in a broad circle around behind the net right and you know Robertson plays the simplest of simple looking passes to him who immediately shoots it, you know, post in. And it was one of those where you just kind of like, you just sigh wistfully as that puck goes in like, Oh, that's what a goal looks like. Well, there are really only two correct answers to that. Jason Robertson, who, who, by the way, you need to ask me if he's going to get 200 points this year, because, <laughs> because the kind of heater he went on after he asked me whether he's going to get hundred, you know, if he, if he can get 10 points in 72 hours, 200's in reach. It's a, you know at this pace, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he's a, he's moving. And the other the other correct and the, really the correct answer is Thomas Harley, which that's the guy you had to be watching this game. We've been waiting for him all year, and he not only looked comfortable, he looked dangerous. What more could mm-hmm. you want? And not only that, he played. I think it was a little over 16 minutes last night. So starting, you know, eye test. I don't know that it was. It might have been his very, very first shift, but very early on in the first, the the goal that got waved off, and it was correct. Uh, Sagan was off by nine or ten strides. He was perhaps behind the goal line. He was so far off, but. Uh, <laughs> 
you know, that that started with a very nice uh, play by by Harley to break out of the zone and, and kind of trigger the break. So he he immediately felt like he made an impact as the sort of puck moving possession, you know, forward driving defender that the stars need. And then DeBoer kept going back to him. This wasn't a case of how many times has, has a star made a debut and then played like five minutes. Right. They, they used the kid. You know, he was, I think, within four minutes, Miro played like 21 minutes or so, which is partially score effects. And the Kent sat a lot of the third period as well. But Harley had a, a honest day's work, showed some, you know, showed some flash, showed some offensive ability and didn't appear to do anything that would dent a coach's trust in him after after a, a debut. Yeah. And the thing, you know, who else looked really comfortable? Colin Miller. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had a really good game. And I think a lot of that goes to having a partner who's compatible with him. And that's nothing against uh, against Miro Haskinen, but I think the meshing of of Harley and and Miller is a real good pairing. I do, and I have a theory about Miller, and this is one of those knee jerk theories that I've done no serious analytical research into yet, but Miller, because we talked about this earlier in the season when Miller was playing with Miro, and part of that is. You know, I could probably play with Miro and look like not an idiot, right? He's Miro's just amazing and, and uplifting to everybody around him. But Miller seems like a guy that isn't going to be the one that drives the pair necessarily, but he does some things well. And he he kind of has this like well-defined lane so that if you put Miller with a functional partner, Miller is able to like augment and lift a pairing. You know, he can be the second guy on a pairing and and hang with a, you know, perhaps a, a more skilled player and, and really be a benefit. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, his, his game, I mean, his special skill is shot and, and there there's not, I mean, he can hammer the puck from the point and that's something that's really missing for the most part from the Dallas blue line. And I think that's very complimentary for Harley's game, which is really the possession side yep. and then and then being able to skate the puck out of the defensive zone and, and then into the offensive zone with possession. You're looking for these guys who have complementary skill sets. And I think Miller's game and Harley's game actually match up really well. I think so. And and as a Stars fan, it's it's you know, the problem for this team is the defense. Um, that's where they're vulnerable. That's where they have holes. So, you know, if Harley is a kid that I think the best case scenario for Stars fans is as much as we've been angry that he hasn't played yet, he got to spend an entire, you know, the bulk of an AHL season playing an incredibly important role for a team that played extremely well. You know, the, the Texas Stars have been very good all season. And Harley's been a major part of that. And and beyond just sort of this one-dimensional offensive defenseman, he's the the coaching staff was, you know, DeBoer made some comments about it. Nellas as well. The coaching staff has been raving about how Harley went down and, you know, did the due diligence thing and worked instead of just focusing on, I'm gonna rack up a bunch of points, right? He went down and worked on the stuff, right? He, he checked the boxes. So the the kid that they're getting now, if it's one game and Nashville's not very good, especially offensively. So this isn't a, you know, it's not like he came out and, and went head to head against Connor McDavid and lived to tell the tale. But if if this is the kid that Dallas has called up, that has the potential to, you know, remarkably transform the defensive unit. Because if everybody slides and everybody except Miro just slides one pairing down, all of a sudden things look a lot more interesting for this group. Well, and here, here's my question for Taylor and, and then also for you. Is is this something with six games, now five games left in the season, is this something that you foresee being even a possibility for something that goes and carries on into the playoffs? 
I'm glad you asked that because the day before he actually got called up, I was uh, I had read Saad Yusuf's article and there was a lot of hints to this happening. And I found myself to be so annoyed because, you know, we set ourselves up to be panicking, at, you know, two weeks before the end of the regular season and hoping that Thomas Harley can come be the hero that we need because we didn't take care of the defense before the season at the trade deadline, you know, for whatever reasons. And this is no hate towards Thomas Harley at all. I just was like thinking, wow, what a predicament we got ourselves in in the last two weeks where we're really hoping Thomas Harley can be that for us. Like I said, two weeks ago, I went down to Cedar Park and I watched him and I just found myself thinking like, wow, he's running circles around all of these players. Like he looks like an NHLer. I think he has the ability to stay and be what we need him to be. Um, what I don't want to see happen is we're trading one young rookie that the coach doesn't trust for another. Yeah. Um, obviously, Thomas Harley, he played well last night, so we're not there yet, but it, it could be, you know. And that was like I went on a bit of a Twitter rant yesterday about veteran mistakes versus rookie mistakes, you know. And we look at some of the veterans that make mistakes consistently. We, we saw that, one last night. <laughs> right. Versus the ones, you know, and they can anticipate those. Like, we always know that Suter's going to get burned or Hawk and Paw's not going to be in the place that he needs to be. But you can't anticipate the rookie mistakes. And so, um, yeah, I found myself to be quite frustrated with the move. Um, I really hope it pays off for us, right, for our team, because that's what we want. But if it doesn't, we're going to be really feeling it come playoffs time. Can we break that down a little more? Yep. And and here I want to, you know, we, we keep talking about rookies and veterans. I, I'd like to take a little bit more of a look at what the skill set of Nils Lundqvist and Thomas Harley, what they excel at. Mm-hmm. And what Harley brings is really his skating, his ability to carry the puck out of the zone and then and then good possession inside the offensive zone. That's not really what Lundqvist does. Lundqvist is much better at creating offense once the puck's already in the offensive zone. Yeah. And and so are we really kind of comparing apples to apples when we when we just say rookies here? And is it entirely possible that what Pete DeBoer is seeing in Lundqvist's game, it's exacerbated by the fact that we really only have Miro Haskinen who carries the puck out of the zone. And so this makes Thomas Harley and, and his skill set where he does that same thing much more valuable to the stars than Lundqvist because Lundqvist can't really excel until we get the puck into the offensive zone. And if we aren't getting it there and he's not facilitating that, then he kind of loses his spot and and Harley's much more able to take that spot. I think that's part of it. I think as well, there is an org. It's not necessarily Pete DeBoer, but there's an organizational history with Thomas Harley. And, you know, he had 34 games last season. He's been working on, you know, kind of specifically assigned things in the AHL this season. So in in the same way that their style of play is not apples to apples, where they are in their developmental curve relative to the Dallas Stars is also not apples to apples. So I can see, and to answer the original question, I could absolutely see this game, and, and time will tell, it's one game I could he could easily you know, Biff something, play two minutes and go back down against Philadelphia, right? Nothing's nothing is etched in stone. But with with Thomas Harley's history, you know, Rupe Hintz was a ping pong ball between Cedar Park and Dallas until he wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, Jason Robertson had a little bit of a hiccup until he didn't, right? And this could absolutely be 
Thomas Harley's moment. Okay, the organization, he had his taste last season. He put in the time, put in the work in Cedar Park this year. The organization has seen everything that it needs to see, and now he's in the lineup, right? And he's just not going to go anywhere. Whereas I think Lundquist is not he's not at that stage yet. He has, you know, he's had a couple cups of coffee on the main roster. You can argue very successfully, in my opinion, that he probably should have gotten more of a look. But it it's not in a 200 hockey men world, it's not insane that the Dallas Stars as an organization are more comfortable making a switch and giving Thomas Harley more of a leash than they are with Nils Lundqvist at this moment, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. And in, I think, you know, it is apples to apples. And I think we just don't have the pairing for Nils Lundqvist to be what he needs to be. Cause we put him with Ryan Suter and Ryan Suter can't move the puck well either. And so <laughs> it's just one of those things where, you know, we didn't have the right fit for him. And so Thomas Harley was exactly what we needed. Um, I just feel like, we should have tried it a little sooner and granted we had injuries and stuff kind of preventing that. So I hope, I hope he it stays, you know, being what we need to be. Cause if not, we're going to be really hurting. I think well, the I, other I, thing to me that, that speaks in favor of keeping them, then Mark, I'll let you jump back in. The, the other thing I think that is significantly different about keeping Harley lineup is, and this, this comes up a lot when we talk about Hawk and Paw is that it's not always as simple as swapping out one defenseman for another, right? They all have physical mm-hmm. profiles, skill profiles. There is a, a, you know, on the very basic level, Thomas Harley is a six, three, you know, almost 200 pounder and Nils Lundqvist is five eleven, Right. And that that's by no means inhibits Nils Lundqvist's ceiling, but on a roster like Dallas, the decision to insert Lundqvist into the lineup defensively does something different to the physical makeup of the team. Even though Harley isn't a, he's not a banger. He's not a, you know, he's not a crusher. He's not a, a big hitter, but he has, he has size and that's not something that this team really has in abundance. So it's easier to, in my opinion, they're, they're just another reason that's going to make it easier for him to get into the lineup than it is for Lundqvist. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's exactly right. And I'm glad you brought up that size issue because it was something that was on my list to talk about. And the neat thing about Harley is that he spent a decent amount of time on, on a real good penalty kill down in Cedar Park. Mm-hmm. And and if you get somebody, you know, if Suter or Hockenpah goes into the box, and God knows that never happens, <laughs> um, you know, Harley very easily could find himself sliding in on the penalty kill. And you feel a lot better having Harley on that PK than you do Lundqvist. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Do we think that we see Harley on the power play at all? Because, you know, the second unit's been just I mean, a carousel I mean, of defensemen. You're, you're, you're just asking for my for my diatribe on this, which is pretty much, I, where did this idea that Harley is a, is a power play quarterback come from? Because he doesn't, he doesn't run the first unit in Cedar Park. He doesn't really even run the second unit in Cedar Park. He, he's part of a rotation that, that is he's probably on the back end of the rotation of, of guys who get time on power play two in Cedar Park. Butcher Butcher's definitely the guy on the first power play. Yeah. And Harley's never been the power play quarterback. He's okay, but you know, I, I'd much rather see somebody like Lundqvist there because he has some creativity. Harley's solid. But he's he's kind of mechanical. He's, he's got some qualities that Suter has on the power play. He doesn't make mistakes. He, he he's very good uh, at moving the puck where it should go next. But that isn't necessarily the creativity that you want in order to get goals. And I, I think yeah. 
the, but I would still say Taylor, the answer I do, I do see him as a factor. And the way that I see him as a factor is right now, the, the Dallas stars power plays humming along. Right. And they've been, if you look at the entirety of the season, it's a very good power play at times. It has been elite. However, this is a unit that has fallen off cliffs, right? It's, it's go, it'll go, they'll go on a heater where they're scoring like it's, you know, the eighties and they're the Oilers. And then they'll just decide to stop scoring power play goals for two months. And oh, well, and Mark, to your point, no, Harley isn't a, you know, offensive specialist, but he is a defenseman with skill. He is a defenseman that can work the transition. He is a guy that you can plug in. And this is a lot of the same argument about, you know, a guy like Max Domi uh, and even Nils Lundqvist to some degree. And that just the fact that he exists means that if one of the units is struggling, all of the sudden the answer isn't, you know, SLMDL or Yanni Hockenbaugh, or more Ryan Suter, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, Dallas has an option mm-hmm. to put somebody over the boards that might be able to generate something and, again, change up the unit, maybe give somebody a spark. All you know, It's just different, right? And so I think this is a team that's going to live or die based on whether or not the first unit can can be productive and keep going, but having options beneath that will help them in times of, you know, when, when it gets dire, all valid points. Yeah. So, but you know, he's not he's not going to step in, and you know, he might. You know, maybe this welcome to Har- to the Harley's aunts. We're we're doing yeah. that with everybody's name this season. He might, but no, I, I don't see him supplanting anyone and being the you know the the shining beacon on the on the power play. But he is a valuable player and a useful weapon, and I think the stars will use him as such. With that, we'll take a very quick break, say hello to the green team and our our sponsors, then we'll come back, talk a little bit about the health of the squad and uh, the way the playoffs might stack up. You know, Mark, people get hurt from car accidents, medical malpractice, and other personal injury accidents, but they never call an attorney. They leave thousands of dollars in medical bills and lost wages on the table that could otherwise be covered and instead just take the insurance company's word. This is silly when you could just call Robert Greening at Greening Law. Greening and his green team are fierce legal competitors for you against the insurance companies. Consultations are free, so you have nothing to lose. And there are no hourly attorney fees either. They only get paid if you recover. Right? These folks definitely need to call Robert Greening and the green team. Sure do. So remember, if you've been hurt in an accident, been a victim of medical malpractice, or have been hurt on a business's premises, call the Green Team at Greening Law in Dallas, Texas at 972-934-8900 now. They will fight your legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. Greening Law, Office Dallas, Texas. All right, so we've already touched a little bit on the biggest update on the injury front, and that is that Scott Wedgwood made his triumphant return after making his triumphant return in the AHL. So the goaltending position has gotten healthy. Still no sign of Mason Marchment, but the team seems pretty consistent in messaging that they expect him back before the end of the regular season. And that's really it as far as major, you know, kind of physical concerns. Again, hence took a high stick and then last night against Nashville didn't play a lot in the third period, but the um, word coming from Pete DeBoer was that that's strictly a maintenance and, hey, we're up five goals. Let's not get cute with this thing issue. Seems like the team, Knockwood, is is pretty healthy heading into the postseason. Yeah, I think we've been lucky all season uh, as far as injuries go. Um, I think the timing of Tyler and Mason going out at the same time as soon as we got Domi, you know, to help that line was unfortunate. Um, but as compared to other teams, we have been really, really lucky. 
Yeah. And, and I lo- I'm glad that you brought up Domi because David had an excellent piece up on the site. Everyone should check it out talking about um, Domi's impact offensively and, and his somewhat muted impact offensively and really getting into the the kind of lingering question mark of this forward group is will the Marchment Sagan Domi pairing work? Um, because that seems to a lot of Dallas's postseason fate seems to hinge on whether those three guys are going to uh, gel mm-hmm. together, particularly offensively. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, Dave, David's piece was, I think, just pointed it all out. It's a high leverage trio, and they're either going to be able to outscore their opponents or they're going to get obliterated. And uh, it'd be nice to have a little experience at that before we just dump them in there against whoever we're playing in the first round. And the, the interesting thing to me in that piece is, and, and this is something that, oh gosh, it came up. I think it was at the height of, of when Sagan and Ben were still kind of the two-man unit. Back when it was Sagan, um, Sagan Ben, and Spets, I think it was. And, and really showing the evolution of, I think, full credit to Tyler Sagan for coming to the team as primarily a scorer. But just kind of slowly, secretly, over the years, has built up his skill set in his game as a playmaker and has done more to facilitate offense for his line mates. And I think, you know, in, in a perfect world, we don't have to deal with watching him kind of go through repeated leg injuries and, and having to adjust his game. But but one of the things that, that's really interesting to me is I think, you know, it's he's ne- it's never going to be his calling card, right? But Tyler Sagan has evolved as a, you know, reasonable defensive piece but has has matured in a way offensively that he can facilitate offense for his line mates versus just being a guy that comes in and shoots the puck 300 times in a season and scores, you know, 30 to 40 goals. And I think it's been interesting to watch that evolve. Yeah. And I mean, to tell you the truth, Sagan's getting most of his goals at, at five on five, you know, it's not, it's not like he's Jamie Benn and just racking things up on the first power play unit. So if you take a look at the difference there, Sagan, the difference between what Sagan's doing and what Ben's doing is is a lot related to how much Ben has gotten right in front of the net on the power play. Yeah. Sagan's having just as good a year. He just doesn't get the time with the with with the trio that has no nickname. And yeah. the other bit as well is that Sagan's in a lot of ways skating around with an anchor right now, right? His his third line mate has been Radic Foxa for a lot of the time, or, you know, 27.8 goal tied to Andrea. So I, I would wonder, and again, it's, it's the, you know, hopefully we get Marchman back in enough time to get some game experience, but it will be interesting to see how, and if Sagan's individual production changes once he's in a, in a, a full three man unit that can, you know, generate offensive flow versus for the most part being in a unit where there are two guys that can really contribute offensively. And the third is, is not that. Yeah. I don't know if y'all feel it sometimes, but sometimes, you know, Max Domi is like a pass first kind of guy. He's always going to look for the pass. And sometimes he'll just, I think as reflex, like we'll pass it to Foxa and I'm like, no, cause you know, <laughs> like 99% of the time, Radic Foxa is not going to do what you want him to do with it or, you know, be productive with it. And I say that, and he's actually scored more this year than he has, you know, in past years. But um, sometimes when I see him pass it, I'm like, oh, Domi, I know you're just playing your game and you're, you've got a vision, but that line mate specifically is not the one. <laughs> yeah. What you want to do for Fox is just throw it into the goalie's pads and let him clean it up. 
Yep. Yeah. You know, so so it, it it will be interesting to see. There are some some signs, and David gets into the data about shooting rates. There are some things to suggest that a healthy and you know fully operational Mason Marchment added to the other two unit to uh, added to Sagan and Domi could absolutely create an effective offensive line. And if that happens, given the way the bin unit is playing, given you know what we know about the top line, like that is that's the sort of thing that differentiates a very good team from a contending team. And and that's when if that works and if all the stuff we talked about, you know, with Harley and the defense works as well, then Dallas is in an entirely different category of squad, especially in a a relatively open Western Conference this season. Yeah, I actually looked today and saw that we are the only team that has seven 20 plus goal scorers and I got corrected a lot about how Max Domi didn't score those for us or whatever, whatever. But my point was we have the depth that we haven't had in years, whether they scored them for us or Jim Neal went and got us more depth. Um, and I hope that it makes an impact uh, during the playoffs. Um, Cause you know, last season we had three guys that could score and that was about it. And and one of those three guys that could score, of course, Jason Robertson got point, uh, got up to, he's now sitting on 101 points and 43 goals and you know they splashed a graphic up last night how insane am i taylor and mark for looking at you know the franchise record 114 points how insane am i when i look at dallas's remaining schedule and my thought is you can do it i don't feel like it's that insane because jason robertson will just go casually have a four-point night right and, and like and you know what's so funny is like Last night, the only one that I really was paying attention to was like up until 100, right? But then when you look back, you're just like, oh yeah, he had four points, but it doesn't really feel like it. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's that insane. I mean, I, I'm still, and I, I tweeted this as well in the middle of the game. He needs seven goals, and I, I just, I might be wrong. I think he gets there. I think he's gonna have, you know, maybe a hat trick or a couple of two goalers. Like, I think he's gonna have a bonkers offensive game down the stretch. And you know, right now, saying you know seven goals in five games is a you know tall-ish order. It's not for Robertson, but it looks yeah. it looks daunting. But like, what if he? Same thing with four points. Like, what if he comes out, you know, hat trick against the Flyers, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, so I I just I, there's a mojo about him this season, and I oh, think no. that. Yeah. You you and know exactly how this is going to happen, Wes. <laughs> how how gonna, is it going to happen? Jason Robertson is going to Jamie Ben Art Rossett against St. Louis. Oh, on on Jordan Bennington. Oh my God! I just need this now. <laughs> the whole <laughs> that has the whole to fan base needs that. <laughs> that would that would be so awesome. It falls under reason- you know my Venn the the Venn diagram that's essentially two circles completely overlapping things Wes likes Dallas Stars success Jordan Bennington failure right and it's just <laughs> yes. it's just one circle. <laughs> the other reason why I think he can do it is because we played Detroit and the Blues twice like you know there's some pretty bad teams out there that he could just go run amok on. And it's it's you know it's a, the sweet spot of Dallas isn't chasing a playoff berth, but seeding is very important, right? If you can finish at the top of the division, you can pretend you know fit, it's the difference between having to go through Minnesota and Colorado and Minnesota or Colorado. So there's there is a lot on the line. He's a significant piece of special teams, right? I could you know if, if they get to that that double header against the Blues and he's within a couple of points within a couple of goals. Maybe you give him some extra time on the power players. I just, like I said, he's got a mojo. There's a, there's a vibe. 
so, there's a so vibe here, about him. Here, here's the next question. Since since we aren't hockey players and, and, and nobody cares what we say, who do you want? Who do you want first round? Oh, that's such a hard question. I feel like the obvious answer to me is the Kraken. I don't want to play Edmonton. I don't want to play Colorado. See, I'm the opposite. I want if if I want Colorado in the first round. You think? Because if they're, you know, all the stuff we keep hearing about Colorado is, oh, they're going to get healthy and they're going to get Landeskog back that's and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And that's one of those teams where I want them early when I'm fully healthy and when not all of their pieces are back, you know, get a chance to knock them off versus give them some time to, you know, get lines figured out, yeah. get some pieces. You know, I, it's one of those like I, I would – I and I also believe, you know, record this season notwithstanding, they've all been closer games than the scoreline would indicate. I think I think Dallas can play with Colorado. I think a full strength stars team versus a full strength um avalanche team is a toss-up at at best. Right. Yeah, I I, I do not think that these are they're not like this. It's not the Bruins. Yeah. So it's one of those like if if we if if Dallas has to play them, I'd rather it be in a situation where They've got everybody and it's not, you know, a conference final when somebody's tweaked something and somebody's hiding something, you know, let's get it out of the way, you know, let's, let's, let's flip and go. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah. And like our last game, that was five, two, two of those were empty net goals. You take those away. We got one goal called back and it's three, three, you know? So yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Um, I feel like whoever wins that probably makes it to the cup. Yeah. Unless it's one of those, you know, two sides batter themselves silly, you know, because I think in, in you know, in, in my opinion, and what do I know? But I, I do think I'm not as, I don't know. I think, you know, on the other side of the bracket, Connor McDavid will always scare me, but the rest of the Oilers team, like you can get to him, you know, the Kraken, I think goaltending, you know, the Knights, I don't trust Jonathan Quick in a playoff series. Mm-hmm. I, I don't trust their health. I think Los Angeles is is low key scary. They've been really really good lately, and um, upgrading from from Jonathan Quick to Jonas Corposalo is is it's a bigger move than I think is being talked about because Corposalo isn't elite, but it's it's one of those you know the old adage right? It's easier to go from like thirtieth to fifteenth at something than it is to go from fifth to first. And color, I think Los Angeles has a pretty significant jump in the positive direction in the net, which is something to worry about. But like, I don't know, nobody, nobody really scares me as much as the abs do. So let's, let's get that one. Just get that one done. Uh, I, I, I'd say let's take Minnesota. That's, I think that's just a historical matchup that we win. Yeah. I could agree with that. I am shocked. I think along with everyone else about how well they've been doing without Kirill Kaprizov because I wrote them off. I was like, oh, he's done. You know, like we don't have to worry about them. They'll be fighting for a wild card spot and we'll, you know, move on. But they really stepped it up and Matt Boldy is having a really good season. Well, the, the thing the thing about Minnesota is what do they do about goaltender? Yeah. Because because they're really going to, history's going to tell them they want to play flurry and they really shouldn't. And so the old hockey guys, in in Minnesota has a bunch of old hockey guys. They're gonna they're gonna ride flurry, and I think it's gonna kill them. Yeah. It's it is you know it, things goaltending matters in the postseason in a way that it doesn't in the regular season. We and we've banged the drum on this. It's the same thing with special teams. These things get an outsized outsized influence when all of a sudden you transition from a league where you're playing somebody different every other night and you can't really, you know, your, your game plan is your side of it, right? You tweak your stuff and you don't really worry as much about the opponent that shifts entirely. When, when you're looking at, we've got the same, we're playing the same guys 
for the next two weeks. What are their weaknesses? How can we tailor our play, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it's, that's, that's the situation where having a, a, a weak link in a position like the goal is, is really, you know, especially a team like Dallas that can attack you in a couple of different ways, right? That's the sort of thing that could make the difference in a series. Plus, I really want to watch a series with John Klingberg. <laughs> I just want him to succeed. I don't want. I him do, to but he's except against the stars. He, he can he can score he can score the late goal that gets it to be four three. And that's my thing about the Oilers as well. As good as McDavid is, like, yeah, maybe it's just a bunch of five four wins and McDavid has four goals in every single game the Oilers lose. Like, I just they're still you know and they're they're better now. They've they've upgraded their defense, but. They just, it's, they're one of those, they've disappointed and flattered to deceive for so long that they're not going to scare me until they scare me, you know? The, the, yeah. the Oilers sent Gretzky to LA and they haven't survived since. So <laughs> they're going to play, they're, they're, well, they're going to play LA and they're going to lose. I mean, and he just, Connor McDavid, just, Miro Heiskanen takes care of that, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. he's only scored I don't want to put that out of the radio waves because well. we, we spent all summer talking about how McDavid wasn't, you know, the same elite tier goal scorer as some of the other stars in the league. And now he's going to score 90 or whatever. Yeah. I mean, he's having a tear of a season, but he's only scored on us like twice, two or three times since like 2019. And I give that all to Miro just handling that. So, who, um, by the way, 68 points. He had another two point night last night. Yeah, um, he's gonna hit it. He's yeah. he's maybe good. This kid, Mira. So he he he's getting points the same way that Robertson gets points. They're they're just real quiet, and they show up at the end. And he said, "Oh yeah, he was involved in that." I mean, many. And this was earlier in the season, but I did a little guest drop on the um, the Mile High podcast, the Colorado guys. They were asking me some questions about Miro because, of course, Stars fans always shake our fists and compare Miro to that that salad guy, the lettuce dude. What's his name? <laughs> Romaine, Romaine maker? I don't know. But talking about the difference in their offense, and I think the Pavelski goal is is exactly what you're talking about, Mark, and that it's it's from an aesthetic standpoint, not flashy effectively Miro skates in kind of a, a, you know, curving pattern and then passes the puck off of Pavelski stick into the net. And from a, just like, you know, highlight standpoint, you know, okay. But it's, it's everything that goes in like, that's, that's Miro. He'll, he'll do that. Mm -hmm. And all, you get to the end of the game. You're like, Oh, wow. He hasn't, he hasn't been scored on, <laughs> you know, he's, he barely gets, you know, he's, he's never really under duress and Oh yeah. He also had two points. All right. right. And, well, you're, you're exactly right on that Pavelski thing because that goal happens and and then everybody who's announcing that game goes on, on onto a one or two minute, you know, here are all the Joe Pavelski great tipper of the puck in the crease story. He practices and, it. And, it's not. Yeah, an exactly. And it's like he passed it to himself. And, mm -hmm. and and that's that's Miro. You so know, he will like, do the right. Miro will do the right thing with the puck almost every time. Mm -hmm. And then when he doesn't, it's like souvenir puck time. Like the, I think it was it was either two or three games ago. He, he biffed one from behind the net, passed it dead center. You know, gave up a great look, and it's yes. one of those like with Miro, you almost want to save that puck because it's so infrequent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he just does everything just like you said, like not under any duress, and you don't even notice. I Miro is my favorite player on the team. And I'm a stats girl. And I I remember when he passed his own, like, career high. And then I turned around and looked, and he had 60 points. And I was like, when did that happen? You know, but he went on that 12-game point streak yeah. where he was racked up 20-something points. And you, you see it happening, but you still don't realize just the impact that he has. And 
I just love watching them play defense. Like it is incredible. And you know, when there's a rush and it's Miro, like you don't even have to worry. Yeah. You relax. It's you just get good. Get, that's when you get your beverage. Like, all right, he's going to take care of this clown. Here's yeah, the question. And, and the thing that, is, he's he's done this. This has kind of been a second half thing where he's just exploded on points. And, mm-hmm. and I think everybody kind of set in their mind in the first half of the season who the who, who the top defenders were. And and, and then Miro just hit, hit the accelerator. And yeah, nah, the, the, the top guys were already set. So we'll yeah. ignore that. It's a shame. It, it is because yeah. he's he's doing things. He's doing things at a level like we're we're realistically right, top ten easy. Yeah, top, but I mean he's five. not even he's not even in the Calder. Uh, the Athletic just put out a, a Calder list, and and Miro wasn't even sniffing it. You mean Norris or Norris? Yeah, I was gonna say he should exactly. He should probably win. He probably win the Calder this year. He should. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, was yeah he wasn't. He wasn't even on it, and I. You know, Veneers I'm, probably I'm, take it from him. He'd come in second. <laughs> I'm almost like tired of being mad about it because we're watching it and we know he's so defensively sound. And then now we finally have a year where we're like, okay, you want points. He's put up points and you guys still refuse to talk about him. And I'm just tired of being mad about it. it well, the, the only thing that, that gets to me is like the way that the Norris voting goes as well as you, you kind of win it the year after, you know, Mm-hmm. And so this is to me, this is the progression. Miro was for the first, you know, three years of his, you know, four, sorry, four seasons of his career. He was the, yeah, he's amazing. All the, co- you know, any coach would, would fight to the death to have him on the roster, but he's never going to win an award with 30 points, right? You're never going to win a Norris with a 36 point career high. So to me, this is the season that gets everybody's attention and if this is the guy moving forward, then that list is going to be very, very different. Like mm-hmm. this is this is the sort of season that you have to have before you have the season where everybody is like, oh, yeah, you're a you're a Norris candidate now. Didn't he do that in that in that Stanley Cup final run, though? He did. And Playoffs still, never matter he, the same way, it, though. He, he oh, did, but it's got to get you on radar, though. Yeah, he was leading the he was leading the t- he was leading the team in points. I think coming out of the the Vegas series, he was fantastic that year. But he followed that up with a I think it was what a twenty seven point season. 20, yeah, you know, and then yeah. you know then he, Rick Bonus was his coach and kind of snuffed any <laughs> offensive production that any defenseman had. I mean, um, I hate to kick dirt on the guy, but he's you know looking at a thirty two point bounce with you know five games to play versus how he did under the old guy. It's pretty. Right. I mean, pretty damning to go from 11 points, you know, consecutive 11 point power play point seasons to 31 points on the power play this year. Like that's oh, oh, cough, man. cough, 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 power play one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, there's there are levels to this kid. And, and here here's the other one. Right. So I think he's sitting 68 points. Is it Zuboff at 71 that holds the record for stars scoring in a stars defenseman scoring in a season? No, no, it's not Zuboff. It's uh, who is it? Like Hartman or something like that. It's not a name that comes immediately to mind. He is another one of the guys on record watching. You're right. It's more than 71. I think it's like 74. 77. Or 70. I thought it was 77, 78. But yeah, it's it's mid 70s. But he is not out of range. It it would take. It, this is more in the like Jason Robertson gets to 114 territory in terms of a reach, but it's not insane to think we get to the end of the season and Miro Haskin is Dallas Stars all-time single season scoring leader for a defenseman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all he yeah. has to do is keep 
feeding Robertson the puck and Robertson gets 50 and Miro gets 80. I like this plan. Why don't you coach the team, Mark? (laughs) It seems so easy when you talk about it. I'd I'd sit there on my ice skates and stumble around and say, make it so. I mean, how hard can it be? Number four, over the line. Number four. That's right. Hartsburg. There we go. Craig Hartsburg. I think we all remember where we were when Hartsburg got a 77th. I don't even know how old I was. <laughs> that I'm was before sure my hockey time. KT's just messing with us. Oh, it was the 1981-82 oh, season. I was like negative 12. <laughs> I would be. I would go on to be born immediately after that season. So, oh God, I was in college. You were on the bench that day, right? You had tickets. <laughs> no, I, I, I that, that was during my hockey hiatus when when I was in college and actually paying attention to other things. Boo. Boo. Yeah. There's no reason to pay attention to anything else. And it's nice as well. And as we, oh, there we go, even more. So Brad Maxwell is in second with 72, uh, or sorry, 73. And that one seems like it's very reachable. Yeah, yeah. very doable. They were all feeding Dino Cicerelli. Oh, yep. Dino. Man, those are the days. I wasn't those even are, alive, but those are the days. Those are the days. Anything else? Uh, how about how about we go, uh, we go, oh, we can't even go watch hockey. What's up with that? I'm going to do, we're going to go, we're going to bring back an old bit because we haven't had a chance to do it with Taylor yet. Everybody's got to give me one stupid prediction. Not, not like a boring, like, oh, Jason Robertson scores a goal. Give me, give me something insane. And Mark, show her the way. You go first. Uh, I think that uh, Frederick Olsen holds his spot on the fourth line through the rest of the season and into the playoffs. Hmm. <laughs> I like that. How about you, Taylor? What's your insane prediction? Uh, I want to see Thomas Harley on the second power play unit. I love it. Here's mine. By the end of the season, Thomas Harley will have more goals than Ryan Suter. <laughs> That's not insane. He's got to get four. It's four. It's definitely doable. I mean, it's not not. If he gets on the power play, it's not, it's, you know, it's sillier things. I could have gone with a, a more of a layup and said he'll have more goals than Luke Glenn Denning, but that, that didn't feel like it was a nice thing to <laughs> Glenn, say. Glenn Denning is on a heater since he got back from his injury. One goal and one assist. I and one. Out. That's why yep. they call him and one. I yep. don't know about y'all, That's why but he's got I, the, the 11s on his jersey. It's one and yep. one. I thought that it was so funny that two of his three goals are shorthanded. I don't know why I thought that was just so Luke Glenn Denning of him, but it was so funny to me. And one of them he almost killed the goalie. He, I, yeah. I was going to say, he's run more goalies than he has scored goals. Yeah. <laughs> it's good, though. And, I like not, and he, hasn't, he hasn't got beaten up for it, either. That's yeah, the that impressive was, That part. was kind of galling to me. How do you feel if you're a goaltender and you get you get scored on, you get run up, and then your team just kind of shrugs like, yeah, well. Well, and work. then the goaltender gets himself booted out of the game. Well, nobody else was going to stand up for him. He's got to do something. <laughs> Anyways... As always, KT, thank you for doing the the work, making this presentable. Mark, you're a source of wisdom and guidance, and I appreciate you. Taylor, always welcome. Thank you for joining the podcast. Uh, It's better with three, for sure. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch, finally get to watch a couple of games where the team is just positioning themselves versus having to frantically overcome plagues and states freezing and who knows what other insanity just to get into the dance. So it's a nice, nice new set of anxiety.
This podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal.